early in the morning while it was still dark and saw the stone removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and told him, they have taken the Lord from the tomb and we don't know where they put him. So Peter and the other disciple went out and came to the tomb. They both ran, but the other disciple ran faster than Peter and arrived at the tomb first. He bent down and saw the burial cloth there, but did not go in. When Simon Peter arrived after him, he went into the tomb and saw the burial cloth there, and the cloth that had covered his head, not with the burial cloth, but rolled up in a separate place. Then the other disciple also went in, the one who had arrived at the tomb first, and he saw and believed, for they had not For they did not yet understand the scripture that he had risen from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. He is risen. Alleluia. Today we hear this, uh, this gospel reading is the same gospel that reading that's read every single Easter, Easter day, and every single year it commemorates the uh, Peter beating, or John beating Peter in a race. I don't know whether you caught that. John, who wrote the gospel, is, uh, he writes himself in as the beloved disciple or the other disciple who's running here, and he says, hey, they both set out, but the other disciple got there first. <laughs> And then Peter, after, you know, little, Peter was a little bit older, you know, so he kind of arrived after. We waited for, you know, waited for him to come and then, and then go in. So every single year we hear this about this race that happens. What's it a race about? Well, it's a race to find Jesus, really. They hear something about the Lord and their, their, their hearts are pulled and their life is crazy They just lost the person that they were following for three years. And so they run to the tomb. Now, Peter's a little bit younger or John's sorry. John's a little bit younger. So he has a little bit of an advantage there. Right. And he gets there first, but he waits for Peter. Kind of, again, the kind of tradition, the seniority, the the wisdom there in order to go in. And it's there that I think Peter probably 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 pointed out to John as well as John notes here a few important details that, again, probably none of us noticed. But it says that in there, they bent down and they saw that the burial cloth there. Um, initially, John was just able to see the burial cloth, but then when Peter went in as well, he saw the burial cloth there, the cloth that covered his head, not with the burial cloth, but rolled up in a separate place. Now, what that tells us is Mary Magdalene is initially fearful. They don't know where they put him. Well, the fear was is, is that they stole the body of Jesus. In fact, that was the fear that the disciples were going to do that and claim that he rose from the dead. But uh, no, someone else steals his body. But if you stole the body, you wouldn't leave the burial cloth there. You would take the burial cloth along because you're trying to get out of there pretty quick. You don't take off the head cloth, put it in a separate place, and then take off the burial cloth and fold it and set it off to the side. No, something else happened here. And the even greater indication that something else happened here is that at this point, the disciples don't know what's going on. In fact, they're fearful. For the first 40, for the first 50 days after Jesus's death and resurrection, the disciples are kind of locked up in the upper room. 
They're fearful. They don't talk about Jesus. They don't talk about what's happening or anything else. But after 50 days, after Jesus ascends into heaven and says that he'll send forth the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes down and something changes. Something radically changes at 50 days where the disciples go out and instead of being locked in their room afraid, they go out and proclaim Jesus Christ and everyone but John, John John isn't martyred, all the other disciples are killed in some way, martyred for their faith, for proclaiming Jesus Christ. John is not martyred, but he's exiled to an island to basically hard labor. Okay? So none of them get a good outcome for that. But clearly it, it gives an indication for the last 2,000 years, Christians have been willing to risk and even lose their life to proclaim Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. Still, even this day, Christians lose their life for proclaiming that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, we're grateful that we don't encounter that, uh, that um, threat uh, in the United States. However, um, are we running to Jesus the way that we should? Are we running like Peter and John, whose lives are transformed by seeking him? Not knowing, right? But seeking him out and saying, hey, something happens. I need to seek him out. Because ultimately, what's beautiful about the Christian story is that the Christian story acknowledges that your life is messed up. Acknowledges that all of our lives are messed up, right? All of us, in original sin and fault, all of us have a tendency towards sin. All of us are sinners. That's the acknowledgement. But that's not the end of the story. The end of the story is that Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. And then, whether we weren't sure whether it was real or not, Jesus rose from the dead. He rose from the dead and he confirmed everything that he told us before. He confirms that he died for our sins. St. Paul in Sacred Scripture says that if we don't believe in the resurrection, our faith is in vain. The resurrection is the key, is, the, uh, is our sure and certain hope that everything that Jesus says is true. And so we come here to remember the resurrection because this is, this gives us the confidence, the hope, the sure and certain hope to believe in Jesus Christ, to continue to run to him and continue to trust that when he says that I've come to give you life and give it to you abundantly, that we trust him in that. Jesus didn't come to take away your fun. You know, sometimes it feels like that, right? You know? Like, oh man, he won't let me do this. He won't, you know, Jesus says, or, or you know, there's certain rules that keep me from doing something, or, you know, mass isn't all that exciting. I don't, you know, I want to go out and see the cherry blossoms. Okay, well, Jesus didn't come to take away your life. He came to give it. And I would say, unfortunately, all the good things that the world offers for life fail. All of them ultimately fail. We seek after so many things and we say, we've got to do this and I've got to do that and we've got to see this and oh, we've got to have this happen. And they offer life, but they don't give it. Jesus Christ is the only one who truly understands us, truly knows us because he has made us. And we have this God-sized hole in our heart And we're running and we're trying to fill it. But the only thing that can fill it is God. And that's why we come here today. We come here today 
to fill that. But the unfortunate part about that God-sized heart or hole in our heart is that we'll always have to keep on running after. There's never a time when we have enough Jesus until we're in heaven. And so we need to keep on coming to Mass. We need to keep on receiving Him. We need to keep on seeking and running after Him. And that's what we do this day at this Mass to come and unite ourselves to Jesus Christ in the worship, the way that He has taught us. He, at the Last Supper, said, do this in remembrance of Him. And so we do it in remembrance of Him. He said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And so we come and we eat His, eat his flesh and drink His blood in the Most Holy Eucharist that we believe is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, that we believe that the Eucharist is something more than just a symbol. It's not just a nice cracker, but it is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. And we run after that, and we should seek that out, because if it is what it is, if Jesus is who he says he is, if the Eucharist is what he says it is, then it is the most important thing that we can ever do in our life is to come to Mass and receive the Most Holy Eucharist. There's nothing more important. There's nothing more important or significant in our life. Now, as we come to receive the Eucharist, just a good reminder for everyone that as we come up, uh, the Eucharist is reserved for those Catholics who are uh, practicing and in good standing with the church. So that means that there's nothing blocking us uh, from receiving his grace. And that we're Catholics who believe uh, as the Catholic Church believes. And so we need to believe that the Eucharist is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. And so if you're not Catholic, or if you're maybe a Catholic who's been out for, been gone for a while, or maybe um, doesn't exactly, you know, is here seeking after Jesus, but still uh, isn't exactly sure about it all, I want to say thank you. Welcome. It's awesome to have you here. I'm so grateful for you to worship with us. Um, and I ask uh, that you continue to seek and run after Jesus. But the operation that we have is uh, the Eucharist is reserved for those Catholics who are in good standing, who believe as the Catholic Church believes, and is in a state of grace to be able to receive. And so if you're not, you can, we're so grateful to be able to pray with us. Uh, if you come up, uh, you can cross your arms, and that just indicates to receive a blessing instead of receiving the Eucharist. And if you are going to receive the Eucharist, if you're uh, in a place to be able to receive the Eucharist, I ask you to use two hands. Okay, not just one. If you're holding something, I ask you to receive on the tongue. If you're holding a baby, I ask you to receive on the tongue. That way we're not trying to uh, kind of fumble Jesus uh, with one hand. So we use both hands, one hand on top of the other uh, to make a throne. And that when the Eucharistic minister says the body of Christ, we respond. Amen. 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 I believe, yes, this is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. And then for those who would like to, they can uh, kneel in the front, um, come down and kneel, or stand to receive on the tongue. And, and what I would ask is that you don't go like this when you receive on the tongue, but instead have your hands uh, folded in some way to indicate that you're going to receive on the tongue. That makes it a little bit clearer. Um, and as you come up here, you'll notice that there's two kneelers. I'll just be in the center, and you, you can, we can have two people up there at the same time. The idea is, is that you're both able to be up there at the same time, and I'll just go back from side to side, and then there'll be two extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion on either side up here that you can also go to, as well as there will be two Eucharistic ministers that will be sent to the back into the fellowship hall and in the narthex to be able to distribute out there. And so I'm so grateful that you're here. I'm so grateful that we continue to run to Jesus. We know that John got there first. Okay, right. But we'll keep on coming along. We'll keep on coming along and we'll keep on running and we'll keep on uh, seeking, seeking Jesus because we know that there's no other answer. Nothing else in this world 
uh, can give us the answer that we need from Jesus.